Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is uh, episode 51 of the Jesus Society Podcast, and uh, it, this is going to air on my birthday, um, February 15th. Um, so, happy birthday to me. <laughs> um, so, uh, what I want to do today is kind of build on our conversation last week, um, and and we're going to be doing some of this for the next, I don't know, I don't know how many weeks. Um, and I, I said a little bit last week uh, about kind of why I'm doing this. Um, I, have, I have come to some convictions over the last several months that um, some of the ways, and, and, and this is very personal to me because, um, and I, I hinted at this a little bit last week, but some of the ways we have been reading the Bible as Christians um, don't, don't take seriously the continuity of the whole story, Old Testament and New. Um, most Christians I know really don't know much at all about the Old Testament, about um, the, the, what was going on in the, in the theology of Israel. Um, we have a very Reformation-oriented view of Israel, that Israel is just hard-hearted, nasty, bad, uh, and God has pretty much just washed uh, his hands of Israel um, and started anew in the New Testament with, with Christians and sort of just wiped, uh, wiped his hands of, of Israel. And that's real convenient because it allows us to just sort of ignore the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, there's a call. Um, Andy Stanley, you've you've heard, I'm sure, um, has um, in the last couple of years come out with a book where he basically said we we can just pretty much disregard the Old Testament if you're a Christian. Um, I think no, I think no, and I've I've said that before, and I've believed that for a long time. But I, even now, after, after loads and loads of graduate theological education, I am still learning, and I am uh, becoming more and more convicted all the time that we have not given uh, nearly enough attention to the work that God was doing in Israel and the importance of, of that history and that story to the New Testament. And so... Um, I'm relearning some things, and I'm rethinking some things, and I am coming to a, a richer, deeper understanding of how important all that stuff is. And that's kind of what I'm I'm sharing with you, and what I'm what I want to share with you. I think um, so. What we're gonna what we're gonna talk about today is we're gonna do kind of a deep dive into the problem of sin, and we talked a little bit about it last week. We're gonna we're gonna delve a little more deeply into it this week. Um, because, and I'll just show my cards, we in America, I think, um, have a very underdeveloped concept of sin. Um, and it's not that we're totally wrong about sin, but we're not nearly right enough. Um, sin is a deeper problem uh, in the world than we think it is, and for reasons we don't usually fully comprehend. And because, this is, this is huge, because we have an underdeveloped understanding of sin, we tend to have an underdeveloped understanding of redemption and forgiveness. And so we don't even see Jesus as clearly and, and what he accomplished as clearly as we really need to. 
and thus we don't fully understand what it means to be a Christian as well as as we need to. So I want to kind of flesh that out um, t- today as we talk about sin, and over the next few weeks as we as we sort of trace out some of these big themes that I think we've overlooked uh, in Scripture. What I hope is that I think I, I think that there is a beautiful story that stretches from Old Testament into New, and it's it, there's a great deal of continuity, and I don't think we can just cut off the Old Testament um, and think that we have a, a, a clear picture of, of what Jesus did if we do so, right? Um, I don't think we can just approach the... You know the times in the New Testament where where the Old Testament is quoted as simply um, Old Testament predictions that we can now say, okay, Jesus fulfilled that. There, there it is. It's, it's much more nuanced and and clever and beautiful than than that. So I want to I want to try <laughs> as I'm having my world opened up to this stuff over the last year or so. I want to try to open that up more for you. So that's that's where I'm going with all this. Okay, so we're going to talk about sin today, and um, it starts if we're going to understand sin biblically, fully, completely. That starts with an understanding of what we were made for, and we and we got into some of that last week. Um, so I want to just recap a little bit of that before we j- jump into this more fully today. Uh, to recap, humans humans were made to be vice regents uh, in God's good world. In other words, they were to act on God's behalf within His within His world. God gave us as humans um, um, rulership, um, and we we talked about the, the the rule and the reign of human beings in God's good world. Um, we we saw that I think clearly last week. Um, and, and here's the thing I, I want us to, to grapple with and understand. God didn't need our help to manage his creation, right? God is perfectly fine without us. He didn't need us to help him. It wasn't a, it wasn't a problem that was too big for him to, to wrestle with. But he wanted it. He wants us to join him in benevolently tending his creation, uh, reflecting his his love and goodness to all creation. That is our vocation. Now, I need to need to define vocation a little bit. I had uh, someone who listened to last week's episode um, uh, say that I tell me that I need to define that a little bit uh, be, uh, because um, vocation is a word that we typically think of um, as synonymous with c- career. Okay, in our twenty first century world, your vocation is the job that you do for pay. Okay, that's your vocation. What are you? Well, I'm an engineer. Uh, I'm a chemist. I'm a banker, right? Um, that's a that's your vocation. All right. When I talk about vocation, I'm I'm kind of using a more um, uh, a more nuanced uh, definition of that. Your vocation is your purpose. Okay, the thing to which you are called by God the role he wants you to play in the world, okay? That's, those things are what I mean by vocation, okay? It's, it's bigger than just your job because we all do things for our job at, at times that, 
bring us no joy and no fulfillment, and, and we don't even really even feel like we're making a big difference in any kind of meaningful way in the world. We do it for money, right? Uh, an awful lot of us have spent a lot of time just doing things to put food on the table, and that's okay. Um, but when I talk about vocation, I'm talking about something a bit bigger than that. Uh, our vocation is to benevolently tend, tend God's creation, to, to reflect his light and, and love uh, to the world around us. That's vocation. Um, and it's bigger than just what you do for money. Okay, um, We have a purpose in the world. We have a calling, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, we were created for a purpose, for a, voca- a vocation. Okay, So that vocation, as we see it traced out in Scripture, is both royal and priestly, which is why Israel and later Christians, the, the, the new Israel, um, are called to be a kingdom of priests. Um, God will use that language in Exodus 19, verse 6, to talk about Israel. Um, Peter will pick up on that theme in 1 Peter 2, 9, talking about Christians, the renewed Israel. We function as a kingdom of priests, and there are both royal and priestly connotations to, to that, okay? But here's the thing about all this. That is that, so that's our vocation, and here's the thing. Living out our vocation, being the people in God's good world that he wants us to be, is only possible, and it can only escape serious distortion when allegiance and devotion, or, or what we call worship, precedes activity, okay? In other words, doing good stuff in the world is great, but, but if those good things are not flowing out of and driven by an allegiance and devotion to the Creator God, it will become seriously distorted, and it will not have the effect in the world that God would want, Okay? And, and, and so, we again, we have to understand worship. We talked about worship at length recently. Um, and, and contrary to the way I think much of 21st century evangelical Christianity understands it, worship is not simply a Christian musical event or a, or a service. Um, worship is about giving allegiance to the Creator God in our whole being, our whole life. Jesus said, "'If you love me, you will obey my commandments.'" It is a life of love, wholly devoted to God and on board with his agenda in the world. That's worship, okay? And the outgrowth of that love and devotion is obedience and getting on boards, board with God's agenda in the world. As I always say, I've said this a lot, and I'm just going to keep saying it because it's true, we will never obey anyone we don't trust, and we will never trust anyone that we don't believe loves us, loves us completely. So, Worship is the, is the devoted action, the devoted activity of a life driven by and informed by a love for God. So back to what I said a minute ago, living out our God-given vocation on behalf of creation is only possible, and it will only escape serious distortion when, when worship, allegiance, and devotion precedes activity, okay? And that is what is lost when humans decide to rebel and give allegiance to the things within the created world instead of to the Creator Himself. And that is why, as we'll see throughout Israel's scriptures and traditions, the basic, prime, first-order sin 
is actually idolatry, worshiping and serving anything in place of the one true God. Okay, hang on, got to get some coffee. Let that absorb for a minute. Ah, good, good. Okay, now, idolatry is not just one of many other sins, all of them kind of equal. It's actually the one great sin that every, everything else comes from, okay? So if you, if you start picking at the scab of whatever struggle you're dealing with in your life, eventually I think you're going to find that underneath it is some sort of false god, okay? And until that false god is dethroned, and the Lord God creator Jehovah God takes his rightful place once again, you will not have victory. Idolatry is not an issue. It is the issue, okay? Um, it is idolatry, you remember, that headlines the Ten Commandments in Exodus 23 through 5. God says right out of the chute, do not have other gods before me or besides me. Don't make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Don't bow in worship to them. Do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so a big piece of, of putting all this together into kind of a, a coherent understanding of, of sin is, that, is understanding that humans were made for life, Okay. Um, Genesis 2, verse 7, the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and man became a living being. Uh, Genesis 2, 9, a few verses later, the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden. Um, we're made for life, okay? Um, Jesus says in John 10, 10, I have come so that they might have life and have it in abundance, okay? Human beings were made for life, and, and that life means more than just a heartbeat, okay? It means more than just a heartbeat. Uh, the life that comes from God and only comes from God is, is, is more than just a heartbeat, okay? And since humans are made for the life that comes from God and only comes from God, to give our allegiance and devotion to that which is not God is in a very real sense to fall in love with death, okay? And you can see that in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 2. You can see it in Romans 5, 17 through 21. We talked about those verses last week. Um, so we need to talk a little bit about the, 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 the link between sin and death in the Bible. Um, as we said last week, we've had a tendency as Christians to imagine sin as the breaking of arbitrary, arbitrary commandments and, and death as the penalty that is inflicted by um, an, a, an offended and wrathful God on every, everybody who fails to toe the line, right? But then Jesus comes along and inserts himself into the middle of all that and takes God's wrath so that we won't have to, and God kills him instead of killing us. For a lot of us, that's kind of how we understand this business. And folks, that's a horrible picture of all this. And there are, like we, we do not, part of, the, part of the problem with that is that we do not create an effective witness in the world 
to God's goodness and what he's inviting us into and what he frees us from, if that is our picture of things. There are loads of people who grew up in abusive homes who, who, who hear that story and look at that kind of God and they say, I know that kind of guy and I don't want anything to do with him, right? And, and it's why we have this, this distorted picture of, well, there's a, there's, a, there's a God in the Old Testament and then there's Jesus and I don't really want that God in the Old Testament, but I like Jesus. And we, we see this dichotomy between the two. And what I want to say is they're the same God. They're the same God. We just have grossly misunderstood the story, okay? Um, and, and that distortion almost makes John 3.16, you know, the banner verse for a lot of Christians, it almost makes John 3.16 out to say something like, for God so hated the world that he killed his only son, which is not what it says at all. It says that God loved the world, so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we got to be careful we don't distort this. But in so much of our modern world, that's the view we have, and it makes God and Jesus not very attractive. Okay? And on top of that, that picture is not even biblical. It is not uh, in accordance with the scriptures, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And yes, I know that you can find a few random proof texts that kind of seem to support that idea. But if we view sin in the much larger context of the whole Bible, it doesn't fit. Okay? Now, I want to give credit where credit is due here because I have, over the years, I have read a whole bunch of books and articles and stuff. I read a lot. And I will tell you that no one has done a better job of helping us, including me, understand this all properly than N.T. Wright. Okay? And, and much of what I'm trying to, he has been extraordinarily helpful to me in trying to flesh this out. Um, and, and much of what I'm trying to make clear to you grows out of his work. Okay, So as I jump into this, I want to make sure that I give him credit. Um, if you read some of his books, some of the things I say are going to sound very familiar, and they're supposed to because I'm telling you up front, a lot of what I'm talking about comes from his work, okay? Um, which is why um, loads of people call him the most influential New Testament scholar of our modern era, okay? So there it is. N.T. Wright, I love you. Uh, you, have, you have been a blessing to us all. Okay. So sin at its core is failure, okay? For, for sure, it's failure, but it's not just moral failure, which is the way we almost exclusively think of it. It is also vocational failure. It's, it's failure to be who God created us to be. And there are a number of, of words in the Old Testament and New Testament that, that encapsulate the idea of sin, because you have, you have words like transgression or wrongdoing or a number of other words, okay? But the meaning of them all is kind of wrapped up in the Greek word for sin in the New Testament, and that, that Greek word is hamartia, okay? And hamartia means not just doing wrong things, but it means missing the target. Um, and because of who I am and my background and my interests, I, I tend to think in terms of shooting, uh, archery, okay? I, I love archery. I've said that before. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bow hunter, Okay, so I have spent most of my life uh, flipping strings and shooting arrows. 
You take careful aim at the target. Sometimes you miss the mark, okay? The arrow does not go where you intend it to go, okay? That's the idea in hamartia, in the, in the biblical concept of sin. It is missing the mark. The question we need to ask and really think through with respect to sin is, what's the target, okay? And if you come at it and think that the target is moral perfection, you are, you are missing the target, <laughs> okay? Um, in Scripture, the target that we were made to hit is a wise, full human life of worship and benevolent stewardship in the world, living holy and devoted lives before God and reflecting God's goodness to the rest of the created world. And if you think about it that way, both morality and responsibility are bound up together there, okay? It's not that it's just one or the other, it's both. Morality and responsibility. We have a we have a purpose, we have a vocation, and that, that purpose and that vocation involves morality. Yes, it does. I don't want to ever be heard as saying morality is not important. It's important, but it's not the only thing, right? We're not just made to be good boys and girls. We're made to be good boys and girls who, who function redemptively in the world, okay? Benevolently, um, in, a, in a stewardship kind of way in the world. So sin at its core is a failure of vocation. It's a failure of morality. It's a failure of responsibility. And because sin represents a failure to be who we were created to be, it constitutes an insult, an affront to the loving, wise creator himself. We are, we are living not in accordance with our design. Okay? We've, we, we end up with a twisted identity. Okay? That, that's important. Jehovah God has, has composed a, a drama. Uh, my friend Brendan will love this. Um, he, he's written a wonderful part, especially for you and for me to play. And like a spoiled and silly child, we've torn up the script and smirked our way through a self-serving and ultimately self-destructive plot of our own making. And just like in every other area of life, when people duck out of their responsibilities someone else ends up taking them over instead. And, and it's, it's always a, a, a poor, they, they always do a poor job of it. When a, when a parent ducks out of their responsibilities to their child, or when a man or woman abandons their responsibilities to their spouse, some level of carnage always follows. And when we sin carnage follows too because we what 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 actually happens is we hand over to the non-divine forces in the world a power and authority that those forces were never supposed to have and that is why if god's plan is to rescue and restore his whole creation with humans as the active agents in the middle of it sin simply has to be dealt with it has to be dealt with and we can't deal with it on our own. But that is the only way by which those non-divine forces that usurp the human role in the world will lose their power. They will be starved of the oxygen that keeps them alive and turns them from ordinary parts of God's creation into distorted and dangerous monsters. And to see that clearly, all we have to do is look at, at, at 
at three of the primary sins of humanity. Okay, and there's more than this. There's lots more than this, but the three that that Scripture bangs on a lot, and that and that we just see, and we, if you've lived long in the world, you know that these one or more of these three probably has its hold on you. Okay, and those three are money, sex, and power. Okay, money, sex, and power. Now. None of those three things are bad in and of themselves. And if, you're, if you've been raised in a Christian tradition, tradition where you see those things as bad, you've got a distorted view of things. Money and sex and power are not bad. They are, they are neutral. They are neutral. They are value neutral, like, like so many other things. Anytime you hear somebody saying this is bad or that is bad, you really need to ask yourself, is, is that true or have we just made that thing an idol and given it power it was never supposed to have? Okay, um, and we've done a lot of that in Christianity, right? Um, in the ancient world, uh, so it, it's just like it's like fire. Okay, um, fire is uh, it's is a good thing, right? It's a good thing. We cook our food with it. It keeps us warm. But just like fire, these these forces are good servants but bad masters. Okay, they're good servants but bad masters. And in the ancient world, uh, if you start looking at ancient religion, all three of those forces, money, sex, and power, were frequently treated as gods and goddesses. And they, they often played a huge part in pagan religion. And of course, many people today treat them the same way, even though hardly anybody uses that kind of language today. But when we sacrifice to those things, when we obey their every command, when we give them a hold over us that they were never meant to have, when we treat them as something other than servants and treat them as masters instead, we give them power that they then wield to unleash chaos and carnage in the world. Just, just look at what devastation comes when people become a slave to the quest for riches. Right? They'll do anything to get more of it, abuse people, run over top of people, enslave people if it means more profit and more money. If we look at what devastation comes when, when people become a slave to their sexual impulses, right? We see what kind of carnage is unleashed. We make slaves of women. We make slaves of children. We do all sorts of violence to powerless people just for our own jollies. If we look at the devastation that comes when people have a, are incensed by a, by a sense of power, right? Look at government. Look at almost any government in the, in the world, including our United, our United States government. There are people running the show who are driven by a quest for power, more and more and more power, and look at the damage they unleash. Lives become twisted. They become mutated reflections of what life was meant to be. And those powers that we give our allegiance to, that we, that we grant our power, the power God has given us, they, those need to be overcome. Not so we can live lives in which those things don't play a part, you know, like, like some religions promote, right? 
You need to live a life where sex has no part in your life at all. That's not God's plan. So we're not trying to create an existence where those things just don't exist. But to make sure that we can live fully human lives in which those things, money, sex, power, make their contribution in appropriate times and in appropriate ways. They stop being demons when they stop being gods. See that? Now, behind all those specific powers and forces, money, sex, power, and a host of, of others, right? Many Jewish and Christian thinkers have recognized a darker and more nebulous power that behind those things that, that drives ordinary people to do horrible things. And sometimes the Bible refers to that dark force simply as sin or, or, or singular sin, right? As opposed to the sins, plural, that humans commit when we behave in less than fully human fashion. Sometimes, though, Scripture uses the language of the Satan, the Satan, the great Satan, which is a Hebrew term, uh, ho-Satan, um, that means the accuser or the adversary, okay? The one who lures people into error and then blames them for it, right? But within that larger biblical story, sin becomes the refusal of humans to play their part in God's purposes for creation as a whole. Again, it's a vocational failure as much as what we would think of as a moral failure. And it is very much a choice of death over life. That is why sin and death are so inextricably intertwined in biblical thinking. Let me just give you a few examples. And there's a bunch of them, okay, um, in Scripture. In Genesis 2.17 and again in Genesis 3.3, God will tell Adam and Eve straight off that they must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. On the day you sin, you will die. Now, there's a couple of things we need to see clearly in that verse, okay? One is that there is an absolute link between sin and death. One leads to the other as surely as day leads into night. Okay. Secondly, death here, we, we've got to see that death must mean more than the loss of a heartbeat. Okay, Because clearly, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and clearly they did not die on that day. Not in the sense of losing a heartbeat. Okay, Death here has, has, a, has a larger meaning to it. And, and we'll get to that here in just a bit. But look also at Romans 5.12. Which is, which is just a, a piece of a sustained argument running all the way through verse 21, okay? Paul says clearly, and we looked at these verses last week, um, he says clearly that just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned, all right? So, and there's other verses um, that, that you can look at, uh, right? Um, bunches of them. Um, you can look at Romans 6.16, Romans 6.23, Romans 7.5, Romans 7.11, 7.13, 7.24, all through Romans 7. Um, you can look at it, James 1.15 and 16. It's all over the place in Scripture. Sin and death are linked, okay? Um, and again, sin is not just the breaking of arbitrary rules, and death is not just the inflicting of arbitrary punishment. 
And again, I, I know that they're spoken of sometimes in ways that make it sound like, a, like there's this legal code in which appropriate penalties are attached. And, and I could say a lot more about why we think that way, but I don't have time for that today. I think that's a natural way on the surface of just referring, referring to the whole sad, sorry, twisted state of affairs that we live in, all right? But deep down, there's nothing arbitrary about sin or death. You choose the one and you choose the other. Worship idols, and you're going to go into exile. Obey the serpent's voice, and you will forfeit the right to the tree of life. That is just the way it works in Scripture. Now, there's another concept that we need to grapple with, um, and it's, it's all over the Old Testament and really shows up in the New, too. It's a big deal in the story that God is telling in the Bible, and that concept is exile. The result of sin, as it always is, is exile. The consequence of the garden is exile. Adam and Eve were driven or banished or exiled, Genesis 3.23, from the garden. Exile is a, a life away from the presence of God, who is the source of life, right? God himself is the source of life. And exile is, a, is life away from from the source of life. But understand, and, and this is really, really, really important, okay? So don't miss this. Exile does not mean, it does not mean that we are out of reach of or beyond the care and activity of a loving God, okay? It just means that it, we are in self-imposed exile, a, 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 away from all the goodness that we could experience, not in exile, Right? But because exile is a life away from God, exile is always thought of as death, spiritual death. Thankfully, though, that's not the end of the story. The good creator God will begin the process of undoing the fall by forming a special people in the midst of a, of a corrupted world who are to be for the world what all humans were intended to be. And he is... He is relentless in his desire to continue on with his project that, that humans would be involved in the, in the, the caretaking and, and now even in the redemption of his good world, okay? Um, and, and this special people now that he will form are going to be for the world what all humans were intended to be. That's God's plan. It's his, God, it's his will. And he will start with a man named Abraham. And from that man and his wife, he'll build a nation. And that nation will be called Israel. And in Genesis 12, 2 and 3, God will say to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And all the peoples of earth will eventually be blessed through you. Now, we know the story. Right? And of course, Israel will not do any better at this than Adam and Eve did. They also will abdicate their role in the world. A role to be a light to the nations. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says that. Despite repeated warnings, Israel as a whole commits apostasy, worships idols, and copies the lifestyle of the non-Israelite nations all around them. And the result of that which is, which is predicted in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, is exile. 
And as Israel themselves go into exile, it is a reenactment of the garden. The garden story will play out again and again in Israel's scriptures and in Israel's story. Again and again, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel will insist that exile has come about because of sin, the sin that fundamentally consists of and then grows out of idolatry. The sins of the people of God have been stacked up higher and higher, and the result is exile. And the way that will play out within Israel, Israel becomes divided themselves. There's a northern kingdom, which will be called um, Samaria. There's a southern kingdom that will be called Judah, okay? The northern kingdom, Samaria, will be taken into captivity by by Assyrians. And the Assyrians were one of the most violent people in the ancient Near East. And when the northern kingdom is taken off into captivity, they will never be seen or heard from again. The southern kingdom of Judah will be carried away into Babylonian captivity for 70 years, not, not too long after the northern kingdom is wiped out. Exile. Uh, uh, the, the land will, the, the good land that God has given Israel will vomit them out, the Bible say, will say. Okay? Um, Judah will be carried away into Babylonian uh, captivity for 70 years. Uh, Daniel, so um, this is another little thing. Daniel will say that that's actually going to be 490 years, 70 weeks of years, 70 times 7. Okay? That's another piece of the story we'll get to some other time. But for them, exile, for, for Israel, Judah mostly, exile is, is kind of understood as a as, as sort of a national death. Leaving the land is leaving the garden. Leaving the ruined temple means being debarred from the tree of life. Now, fortunately, the story doesn't even end there because God is relentless and unyielding. He will not give up on his people. He will not give up on his plan. He will not give up on his program to have a people for his own possession who can bless the world around them, who can serve as benevolent stewards, who can serve redemptively even in his corrupted world. He will not give up on his plan to have a people for his own possession who will function as lights in the world, reflecting his goodness and love to the rest of creation and inviting them into life with him. And so Israel's story will culminate in the coming of Israel's true king, God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, to forgive Israel's sins and to call together once and for all, a people for his own possession, a new royal priesthood, a new Israel who will follow Israel's kings, who will follow Israel's king into at great risk of making you roll your eyes here at me. <laughs> they will follow Israel's king into relationship, renewal, and purpose in God's good world to the glory of God. And in the crucifixion of Israel's King Jesus, and we will talk about all this in much more detail, but in the crucifixion of Israel's King Jesus, God is going to defeat the principalities and powers that have held us all captive and that have enslaved us. And on the cross, 
when God deals with our sin, simultaneously, he will rob the idols of their power. And this is hugely important in a number of New Testament passages. So John 12, Colossians 2, 10 through 15, Hebrews 2, 14 through 17. You'll see this there if you, if you slow down and read it carefully. You'll see that. God is robbing the idols of their power in the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. And that is a big deal in New Testament theology. In the crucifixion of Jesus, God is forgiving our sins based on the substitutionary death of Jesus for us. That's true. That is true. That is true. That is true. Don't hear me saying that that's not true. That is, a, that is true, okay? But it's not the whole truth. Because in the crucifixion of Jesus, in addition to forgiving our sins based on the substitutionary death of Jesus, God is also winning the victory once and for all over the principalities and powers and ultimately over death itself. And that, folks, that is good news. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. As always, we would appreciate it if you'd tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate and review us on, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you, wherever you get your podcast. The, the, the reviews, if, like if you could write a review, just a little review um, of the show, but that in, in the bizarre way that rankings work, that makes the podcast visible to more people. Okay, and 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 I would love for more people to hear some of this stuff. Okay, if if it if this means something to you, if this is a good thing for you, I'm not asking you to do it. If the if if you don't find value in this, but boy, help other people find it. Okay, um, please visit us on Facebook. Um, we've got a Facebook page for the Jesus Society podcast. We'll put links to all this in the show notes. We've also got a Facebook group. Um, check out our website, thejesussociety.com. Um, all the podcasts are slowly being loaded onto YouTube and, and um, Odyssey as well. Um, and we've got links there you can find. Uh, we've, we've started a Patreon page, um, and we'll put a link to that. If you, if you feel compelled to support the show, um, you know, we've got some people that are supporting the show right now. A few, um, they're not doing it on Patreon. If you want to do it on Patreon, like that's a good place to do it. We'd, we'd love to have you, but only if God is putting it on your heart to do, okay? We want this news to get out, this good news, fully and completely, the story of the Bible. We want people to know what God is doing and has done and to join God in redeeming the world, okay? Thank you so much for listening. And remember, remember, you are greatly loved.